Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 90, 90, this is episode 90 um, of the Jesus Society Podcast, and we've only got 10 more till we hit 100. Um, I need to figure out something to do special for our 100th episode, and I don't know what that is. Uh, if you have uh, if you have any ideas, send me a send me a message. Um, you can do that through our website. I think I think there's a I think there's a contact thing in our website, isn't there? Let's just check. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, there's a contact uh, tab on the Jesus Society, thejesussociety.com. If you got any ideas on what um, what to do for uh, our hundredth episode? Uh, drop me a note there. And if you've got any questions about anything else, uh, feel free. I should say that more often. Uh, feel free to contact uh, me there. I don't get many don't get many contacts um, in any of this. Um, but anyway, we're getting close to a hundred. Woo woo woo. Um, so today, coffee firmly in hand. Uh, we are gonna. That's hot. That is hot coffee. I'll have to wait a few minutes to drink more of that. Uh, we're going to continue talking today about what happens when we die. Uh, we talked about last week about the concept of, of purgatory, which I definitely don't believe in, and I laid out why that's so last week. Today I want to talk about a word we, we don't talk nearly enough about, uh, a concept we, we need to think more about, and that's the word paradise. And as I said last week, and, and which I will, I will probably say again next week, it's important that we get our thinking straight on all this, at least so we can quit worrying about what happens after death and start paying a little more attention to what we do before death. And I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record with some of this today, but um, that's the way it is. So today we're going to talk about paradise. You need to stay tuned because I think you're really going to like this. Okay, so uh, having established last week that there are no category distinctions between Christians, either before death or after death, we are all saints, okay? I want to say at the outset, as clearly as possible, um, that after death, all Christians are in exactly the, sta- the same state, uh, one of restful happiness. Now, sometimes in Scripture, death is referred to as sleep. Like in uh, John chapter 11, verse 11, when Jesus tells the disciples that our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up, he says. Um, But I don't think we should take that to mean that we're all unconscious after death, okay? That's just a a common figure of speech in the ancient Near East um, to to just refer to um, death as sleep, okay? The body is asleep, uh, in other words, dead, while the real person, however we choose to describe him or her, and whether you think of the soul or, or whatever, and that's a whole another big, deep discussion, which we're not going to get into today. Um, but that part of the person will continue. Now, it's, it's important to remember, and this is the broken record part of this. Is I'm going to say this several times, because 
This is so. Let me just back up for a minute. This is this is a bit challenging. Uh, I want. I really want to talk about paradise, but because some of this stuff is so interlinked and intertwined, I've got to address a couple other things too. So we're going to have to talk a little bit about um, heaven, and I've, I've got to mention too. Um, this this state of restful happiness is not the final destiny for Christians. Okay, and I'm going to say that several times because this is the piece that I feel like we we don't understand or we're we're we just haven't fully absorbed this as much as as we should um, because it's a big deal in the New Testament, but we've we've largely kind of missed it. The final destiny, as we've talked about before, and as I'm going to say again several times today, is bodily resurrection in a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, which will be joined together at last, heaven and earth together as, as one entity. Um, and, and remember, God has always intended for heaven and earth to be linked as one. It, it looks like it's that way in the garden, um, but definitely at the end of the, book, of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, John says this, John says, you know, next to the last chapter of the Bible, I then saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. Not the other way around. He will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and we will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. That, folks, is our ultimate reality. That is our ultimate destiny. Death will be no more. Um, all those other things will be gone. And there will be a renewed heaven and renewed earth. That is how things will ultimately end up, not with us all sitting on clouds playing harps, but with, a, with us living in new resurrected bodies in a renewed, restored creation with God himself living in our midst. That is our ultimate destiny. It is what N.T. Wright calls life after life after death. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're, today, um, we're talking about is we're talking about that intermediate stage after death, and before the ultimate resurrection. And that intermediate stage is a state of restful happiness where the Christian is, the Christian dead are, are held firmly within the love of God and in the presence of Jesus Christ while we await that day. That is why Paul can say in Philippians 1.23, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul clearly thought that when he died, he would immediately be in the presence of Jesus. And there's no reason, there's no reason why the place where that occurs shouldn't be called heaven, even though, and I, and I have to point this out, it's interesting that the New Testament routinely doesn't call that heaven, okay? 
when the New Testament talks about life after death, which it hardly ever does, frankly, it tends not to use the word heaven to describe the place where that will occur. Okay, The New Testament tends to use the word heaven in other ways. Uh, heaven in the Bible, not just the New Testament, is God's space. It is where God dwells. It is, it's much more of a realm than it is a place. Uh, it's not somewhere far away up there in the skies. But in the Bible, when you find the word heaven, you find God there. It's the place where in the present age, God dwells. Okay. When the, again, when the Bible talks about life after death, which it hardly ever does, heaven's not the word that it uses. Okay. Um, one of the interesting things about Jesus' uh, Jesus' own resurrected body is that he seems to be able to easily pass between heaven and earth at will. I don't know if you ever thought about that or not, but for instance, when the resurrected Jesus uh, disappears from the table at the home of the two men in Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verse 31, where do we suppose he went? Do we think he's just teleporting from one location to another? A few verses later, in Luke 24, 36, when he all of a sudden appeared to the disciples in the upper room, including those two guys from Emmaus who ran back to Jerusalem after that, where do we suppose Jesus came from when he all of a sudden appeared? The most logical way to understand this is that he is just passing between heaven and earth, and it is not a long journey, Okay. It's, a, it's another realm very close to this one, okay? We can't see it, but it's there. And the resurrected Jesus is at home in heaven and on earth and can pass between them. But getting back to our main discussion here, which I keep straying from, no, maybe I haven't had enough coffee here. There we go. Cooled down enough to drink. Uh, equilibrium has been restored to the universe at last. Um, so the word Jesus uses when he describes the place of restful happiness with the Christian dead is the word paradise. So remember in Luke chapter 23, as Jesus hangs on the cross and has the interaction with one of the two thieves hanging on either side of him. The thief, the one thief says, says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, let me, we're going to get to Jesus' response in a second, but let me just point out, because this is, this is important here. The thief is referring there in his, in his statement to Jesus about a time when you come into your kingdom. Okay. Now he doesn't know when that is, right? But it's interesting, there's a time element to his statement there, and that's important because when Jesus responds, there's a time element in Jesus' response as well. He says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. But he says, today, that day, that is when Jesus becomes king and inherits a kingdom. That is when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus says, today, you will be with me there in paradise. 
the place where Jesus tells the thief that that will take place and where he will be in the presence of Jesus that very day is called paradise. Paradise is the, the, the blissful garden where God's people rest while we await the resurrection and the final renewal of creation. Now, sorry, need another step. I've got a, I've got a kind of a cough today that I'm trying to keep at bay. I don't know if coffee helps, but it makes me feel better. So, okay, the word the word paradise is not a word that that occurs very often in the New Testament. In fact, it only occurs three places in the New Testament. Uh, the first is here in Luke twenty three forty three. Uh, Jesus says uh, to the to the thief, "Today, uh, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise." The second place this word ha- uh, occurs is in 2 Corinthians 12, 4. And this is a, this is a strange uh, couple of verses here, and we're going to break them down kind of quickly, but we're going to go into a little more deep detail about them. Paul says, and, and there's, there's some question about whether Paul is talking about himself or someone else. It's not, it's not absolutely obvious in the, in the, in the passage um, most scholars seem to think that Paul is talking about himself here, um, but that's not really the point. Here's what it says, Second uh, Corinthians 12, um, verses 2 through 4. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. But I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. So in those those verses, Paul uses the word paradise synonymously with the phrase the third heaven. Okay? Now, what in the world does the third heaven mean? So in most Jewish thinking of the day, and remember, they, they didn't have our modern understanding of the cosmos, okay? There, there was a lot of science stuff that we know today that they didn't know then, okay? So we, we got to give them a break. Um, but in the, in the Jewish thinking of the day, um, there were most Jewish thinking, okay? Um, there were three heavens, so to speak. Uh, the first heaven, um, with air quotes, uh, was closest to the earth, contained uh, the air we breathe, um, the, the, the place where the birds fly, right? It's our, it's our own immediate um, atmosphere in which we live, okay? That's, that's what they thought of as the first heaven. The second heaven was the realm of the clouds and the stars, the things you could see but not touch in their day, right? And then the third heaven was what is was, was something you couldn't see, and it is some, it's the place sometimes called the highest heaven, and that's the place where God dwells, okay? So when Paul talks in this verse in, in 2 Corinthians 12 about being taken up to the third heaven, this is, this is being ushered into the very presence of God himself. And, and again, Paul calls this place paradise. So that's the second place in the New Testament where you find the word paradise. The third place where we find the word paradise in the New Testament is in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 7. 
which says this, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Okay, so let me just pause here for a minute. So when you hear the phrase tree of life, what do you think of? You think of the Garden of Eden, right? Because that's where the tree of life was. Okay, hold on to that thought for just a minute because we're going to come back to that. Um, So in in addition to those three places in the New Testament, um, the word translated paradise is found other places, right? It was a a word in the Greek language that they used other places. It didn't just show up in the Bible. Um, The word appears in some Jewish and early Christian writings, and it was, it was um, universally the word that they used when they wanted to talk about the Garden of Eden. Uh, Philo uses it that way. Josephus uses it that way. Irenaeus, Origen, uh, Hippolytus, they all use that word um, to, to refer to the Garden of Eden. Okay, And along those lines, and, and this is maybe most significantly, that is the word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, um, which is sometimes called the Septuagint, or you'll see it abbreviated uh, Roman numerals LXX, which means 72, right? And, and that they, they call it that because there were, there were 72 translators who translated originally. Um, there's, there's much more to all this than this. I'm, I'm hitting the high points here. Uh, that translated the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, into Greek. Okay, so the in in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, forty-seven times when uh, the, that the Old Testament refers to the Garden of Eden, the word that is used to translate that idea in Greek is the Greek word that is translated paradise. Okay, the Garden of Eden. So. And this is this is the point in all this. The Greek in the Greek speaking Jewish world, if you wanted to talk about the Garden of Eden, the natural Greek word you'd use is the word translated paradise. In the Second Temple Jewish thought, paradise was the restoration of the Garden of Eden. And while they they expected paradise to exist someday on the renewed earth. Many Jews in Paul's day also believe that the Garden of Eden currently remained in heaven, waiting presumably to be restored to the earth at the time of the new creation. So putting this all together, it is, it is not a stretch at all to understand that the place Christians go after death is a peaceful, wonderful garden approximating the Garden of Eden, a place of rest and happiness in the presence of Jesus while we await the ultimate resurrection and the new creation. And that sounds really, really good to me. I hope it does to you too. Okay, so uh, I can hear a few people grumbling in the back of the room, uh, <laughs> ready, ready to offer some objections. So I want to address a few, uh, a few things as we're talking about all these interrelated things: paradise, heaven, 
new creation, resurrection stuff. Um, I can already hear people saying, wait just a minute. The Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven. Well, yes, it does. Philippians 3, verse 20. But look what happens when we read the rest of that verse and the next verse as well. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And, and some people read that. A lot of Christians read that and think, there we go. There's our verse that says our, our destiny is, is heaven forever. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. But then he says, and we eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So even there, Paul is looking forward not to us going to heaven to join Jesus there for all the rest of eternity, but ultimately to Jesus coming from there to earth to resurrect us and to transform our bodies to be like his. He is the, he is the, his resurrected body is the prototype for what our own resurrected bodies will be like at the end of time. Okay. Um, so again, a new restored creation and newly resurrected bodies in that new creation, that is our ultimate destination. And we need to wrap our heads around that. But the place where we await that day in peace and rest and happiness is paradise. Okay, so let me let me address one other passage that often gets brought up in, in this discussion. Uh, Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, where he tells his disciples that in my Father's house there are many rooms. If not, I would have told you I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that, that so that where I am, you may be also. Okay, there's a couple of things going on in this in this verse or these verses. First, Jesus refers to many rooms or many mansions or many dwelling places, de depending on what translation you happen to be reading from. Uh, many rooms makes more sense to me. Houses have rooms. Houses don't have mansions. That just makes that just makes more sense. So, what does Jesus mean here? Well, most people, I think, most Christians read that as assurance that they will have a place in heaven waiting for them. Um, in, in my church, we used to sing uh, the old hymn. Um, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder, you know, you know that, you may know that song. Um, the, the, the part of that picture that we need to correct, and and because it, it's 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 not at all it's not an altogether bad picture. I'm not I'm not saying that that this is all bad, but there's a piece of that that we need to correct. Again, this is the beating a dead horse thing, but it's the idea that that's the place that will be forever. And, and, and as we've already seen, the ultimate future is a renewed creation. Heaven, or more properly, paradise, is the place of peace and rest in the presence of Jesus while we await that day. And that comes through even here in John 14, 
because the word Jesus uses in verse 2 that is translated by the phrase many rooms or many mansions or whatever, the, the, the word that's translated there is the Greek word monai. Okay? Monai. And that word, that's the word that you would use in normal Greek language, um, not for some kind of final resting place, but but for for temporary lodging on a journey that would ultimately take you somewhere else. So so think about a roadside inn. You know, you're traveling from here to to uh, you know Kansas City or whatever, and and you drive for a while and you got to stop for the night. The place where you stop for the night, the Motel Six, right? You're not that's a, that's not your final destination. It's your it's your temporary lodging for the night while you're on your way someplace else. Okay. That's the word monai. So when Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you in, in, in my father's house or many mansions, it seems to be more not referring to permanent housing, but to temporary quarters. Also, as we read this passage, let's, let's for heaven's sake, let's not get so lost in the details of the passage that we fail to see the main point in the context in which Jesus is making it. Jesus refers to my father's house there, okay? The only other time Jesus uses that phrase in the Gospels is in John 2, 16, when he overturned the tables of the money changers. He says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Clearly, when Jesus uses the phrase, my father's house, he's referring to the temple, which in Israel, this is another thing we have to adjust our thinking a little bit, because we're we're so conditioned to think of a temple as a as a stone big stone building where religious religious rituals are practiced, okay, and that's because in the temple in Jerusalem it was a big stone building where religious rituals were practiced. But that is not what the temple meant to the people of Israel, okay. It's not just a building, okay. We we've got it. We got to understand this. In Israel, the temple was the place where heaven and earth came together, where they intersected, and where God dwelt among his people as their king. Okay? Um, That's why the, the, the word temple is used lots of different places, and it's always that. It's always the place where Israel met their God, where where God dwelt among them, and where heaven and earth intersected. Okay, so in John 14, 2, remember the disciples are feeling a little bit fearful and unsteady because Jesus has just told them that he's leaving and they're and they don't know what to make of this and they're scared and they're nervous. How are we going get to get on without our master here to follow? And they're wondering whether they can follow him there. This is what Jesus says to assure them. And he, he tells them, look, there's a new city, a new world, a new house, so to speak. Heaven and earth will meet again when God renews the creation. And that, and at that time, there's going to be room for everyone, and you'll be with me there where I am too. That's, that's the primary point of this passage in John 14. Jesus is telling them this to comfort them, and he's using language that they would have understood that's a little strange to us because we don't understand temple and we don't understand some of this other stuff. But all of that fits very nicely, if we understand it that way, with what he says to the dying thief on the cross next to him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. 
So I want to take, uh, I want to say two things here as we wrap up. Again, beating a dead horse. First, if we want to be biblical, it's clear that the ultimate resurrection is our ultimate future and is still, in fact, in the future. And that's the official view of all mainstream Orthodox Christian theologians, both Catholic and Protestant, believe that. And the use of the word heaven to talk about the ultimate goal of Christians is a little bit misleading, and it's not entirely biblical, because our ultimate destination is not going to heaven when we die, but being bodily raised into the transformed glorious likeness of Jesus Christ so that we will finally fully reflect his image. So even if we want to talk about going to heaven when we die, and, and we can use that language if we want to, but we need to, be, we need to understand, we need to be clear that this is just the first stage of a two-stage process. The early Christians held firmly to that two-step belief about the future. First, death and whatever lies immediately beyond paradise and second a new bodily existence in a gloriously remade world and the earliest christians didn't just exist on earth waiting around to go to heaven instead they lived in perfect alignment with jesus prayer in the lord's prayer to bring heaven to earth through the gospel the early christians were most, mostly jews remember and they believed that the world was good, that it was God's world, and that God's aim and intention was not to snatch people from this world and go to live with him, but to work to make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, so that it would then make sense for God to come again and live with us, which is what it says at the end of, at the, end of the book of Revelation, the dwelling of God is with humans not the dwelling of humans is with God. Okay, so I want to say that. Secondly, and I want to end with this because this is the main point in all this, to, to, to try to put a nice little, uh, very attractive bow on all this. I want to say clearly again, for the Christian, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this and you're wondering what's going to happen after you die, there is a blissful life of rest and happiness with the Lord immediately after death in a beautiful garden-like place Jesus calls paradise. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. Next week is going to be, going to be a little harder. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive into the subject of hell. Um, as always, we'd appreciate uh, it if you tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, Please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get, wherever fine podcasts are found. Um, visit us on our, our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. Check out our website, thejesussociety.com. Uh, you can find us on YouTube or Odyssey, and if you search in any of those places, you'll find us. If you'd like to support, support the show and our related ministry, you can click on the Support TJS link on the Jesus Society website find out how to do that. There's links for all this in the show notes. Thank you for listening. And remember, you are greatly loved.